So last week, we looked at the many troubles that Paul had outside of being in prison. And we looked uh, all the way up to verse 18. Because even though people were trying to bring Paul to shame by preaching in such a way that would say, now God's punishing Paul by putting him in prison because his doctrine's wrong. And, and we told Paul his doctrine was wrong, and finally God just shut him up by putting him in prison. If it wasn't enough for him to be in prison in Jerusalem, they sent him to Caesarea. He was still rebellious, and, and God sent him all the way to Rome and shut him up. And uh, that was the message. And they were preaching the true gospel, so Paul said, hey, I just rejoice the gospel's being preached. I, I'm not going to... Um, calculate the hurt they're bringing to me. That's, that's between them and the Lord. And, and so what was his final way of handling this difficulty of trial against other people wronging him? We see in, in Philippians 1.18, where we ended last week, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. So he said, I presently, in this moment, while in prison, knowing that there's a whole bunch of guys going through all the churches that God had me to start, and many of the churches are rejecting me. Boy, we read about that as we go through the epistles. People were completely rejecting Paul, the one who fathered the church, the one who established him in the docile of grace. They're now having bad things to say about Paul because of these people. But he said, presently, I rejoice. And then in the future, I, I'm going to continue to rejoice, even if things get worse, even if <clears throat> I end up being silenced in Rome. It's okay. God's God got it in control. I rejoice in whatever the future brings. Do we do we understand this? That joy is an action of the will. Paul didn't say, and I may continue to rejoice in the future, but I gotta wait to see how bad it gets. Because I may turn this joy into complaint. Was that a possibility in his mind? It wasn't. Because his joy was hinged in the nature and in the faithfulness of God. Now, what's interesting is really how this church in Philippi exploded. Remember, he was going out to the river and this lady Lydia was there and some other Jews and they came to Christ. And, and then Paul came into town preaching and he got arrested, put in prison, beaten with rods. Do you remember this in Acts 16? And then they put him in the deep dungeon and put his legs and his arms and stocks, him and Silas both. And the, you, you've got to be in a lot of pain. I mean, beaten with rods. This is serious stuff. But what do they do about midnight? I will rejoice. Didn't he say that? I am rejoicing. I will rejoice. They begin to sing, and, and the earthquake came. All the prison doors were open. The prison guard was getting ready to kill himself. He said, don't do that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and all your household will be saved. They had a little revival in the prison there. 
And then Paul got released and, and left Philippi. Wow. It's pretty amazing when you realize that this church was a testimony of Paul's rejoicing in tribulations for righteousness sake. And of course, he pointed out to the Romans there in Philippi, you did unlawful stuff that you guys could get put to death for because I'm a Roman. And they were scared to death when they heard that. Corey Timboom had a saying, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know who holds the future. Isn't that just a great quote? I will rejoice in the future because I know who's got a hold of it. And what does the Lord say? That nothing on this earth happens that he doesn't know about and, and is in control of. You know, you take a handful of sand. Could you keep track of that sand? If I gave you a handful of sand and gave you a big giant wooden floor as big as our sanctuary and said, please place every sand in a certain spot, look at it under a microscope, you know exactly what it looks like, be able to identify every piece of sand, give them a name, and then keep them there. Could you do it? Somebody had opened the door. Hey, you want to breathe? Oh, no. But the Bible says that God has as many stars as the sand on the planet. They actually know that to be true. They estimate 10 to the 25th power amount of sand on our planet and the same as stars in our universe. And the Bible says God's hand spans the universe. God says he's put every star, keeps it in place, and he's given it a name. He can tell one little piece of sand from another little piece of sand. There's not a piece of sand on the planet that turns over that God doesn't know about. Did you know there's not one little sparrow that dies? And I guarantee you there's hundreds of thousands of those things dying nonstop, you know. He knows every hair on everybody's head by number. When my little babies were born, man, I you just would just study every little inch of their body. Their fingers and their toes and the bottom of their foot and their legs and their arms and, and their head and but I couldn't tell you how many hairs were on their head. I just don't have that capability. But God does. And so we can have confidence that God is holding things to a degree that we can't even imagine. Well, we pick up here today in verse 19 to 21, to live is Christ is the title of this message. He says there in verse 19 to 21, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. 
For to me to live is Christ and die is gain. One of the most important verses in all the Bible comes in verse 21 there. Let's say it together. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And uh, the modern translation says, and to die from coronavirus is gain. That's the modern translation, (laughs) adding in the pandemic. Anyway, verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for the deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. I know, I know. It's like that uh, Romans 8, 28, right? We know that all things work together for good. Doesn't say we're gonna see it. Doesn't say we're gonna fill it. Doesn't say that, that we'll ever be able to prove it. There's just too many things happening. You know, God answers thousands of our prayers and then blinds us from seeing he answered the prayers because we just sit around gawking at all the answers to prayer. And God's like, hey, you got to live. <laughs> Wake up. God's doing so many wonderful things that, and, and there's just times God will bring to remember something I prayed about years ago going, He answered that. He did that. Wow, I never even thought about that, how the Lord worked all that out. That's amazing. And he's speaking in faith here. He's not being positive. Let's, uh, Christians need to be, have the power of positive thinking, like the health and wealth gospel heretics say. No, he's not being positive. He's stating a fact. God's in control of all things. And I know, I know that things are going to turn around. Great quote. I don't know who originally said it. You feel free to attribute it to me. Um, God's past faithfulness demands our current trust in him. How do I know God is going to turn around for good? I can go back to Abraham. I can go back to Noah. I can go back to Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and I have an entire thousands of years of history. And of course, now we have the New Testament. We have the Peter and the Apostle Paul and so forth. All of these tell us that these things are turned. And that word is also the turning of a ship. It's, it's, it's in the future indicative. It's not in the present. In the present, things that really aren't working out very well. But I know that they're going to be turned by God to be turned around for good, to bring deliverance, or the same word for salvation is here. God's going to bring salvation about. And boy, he did. The guards got saved, all of uh, Caesar's household. <laughs> they had a church inside of Caesar's very home. And, and uh, God turned that around. Now, again, this is important. Because Paul is going to go on to talk about what salvation could look like. Now, often when young Christians don't know the whole Bible, they say there's only one way for God to bring about victory, and that's for my success. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown in the fiery furnace, and the fire didn't hurt them. Daniel thrown in the lion den, and it didn't hurt him. That's what we're talking about. God will 100% do that for everybody who really has faith. 
Well, it's just not true, is it? Peter, Peter was delivered from prison, but James was beheaded. Remember, we covered this a couple of weeks back uh, on, in Hebrews. It says, by faith they were saved from the sword, and by faith they were killed with the sword. So he, again, Paul is saying, I know salvation's going to come. Maybe it's a temporary salvation, I get out of prison, or maybe it's a permanent salvation, they kill me. <laughs> I get to get out of prison. Either way, I'm getting out of prison. It's just a matter whether it's a temporary success or a permanent success. But again, what looks like failure isn't failure, right? James being beheaded wasn't a failure on God's part, was it? He just simply saying, the sands of your life in my hands. And, and James, I know I discipled you for three years, but all you had, all I planned on you having was an eight-month ministry. That was it. Your ministry's over. Come on home. Wow. God calculates things different. How is this salvation going to happen? How is this deliverance going to come? Through your prayers. David Guzik says this, Paul was so confident because he knew the Philippians prayed for him. His deliverance in the present situation was connected to the prayer of the Philippians. We can hypothetically say that if the Philippians didn't pray for Paul, then God's deliverance for Paul would not, would, would be hindered, excuse me, would be hindered. It certainly seems that Paul thought this way. This is serious business, isn't it? That the Bible, in essence, is saying, Paul is saying, one of the reasons I am confident to see this earthly success and this deliverance because I sense you are praying. But in essence, he's saying, if you're not praying, then I may not see success. Do, do we understand this, guys? Our prayers aren't just filler that have no weight, have no reality. God knows all things, but he doesn't impose that on our free will. One doesn't contradict the other. It's Schaefer said it this way, that God's knowing all things is one pillar, and our free will is a pillar over here on the other side. And it looks like they go straight, but they don't. They actually turn so ever slightly that you know at the throne of God they meet. But on earth, we can't put them together. They're two separate things. And so the idea is here, guys, is, is that your free will can cause you to pray and things will come out differently than if you didn't pray. That's all through the Bible, guys. There are some people who basically say, God's going to do whatever God's going to do, but it's good for you to pray anyway. Your will doesn't matter. Your prayers don't really matter because God's going to do whatever God's going to do. Guys, this is untrue. All through the Bible, Paul says, if you preach, they hear. If they don't preach, that's sad because they won't get saved. James says it plainly, you guys, he's writing to, says you don't have because you simply don't ask. In Isaiah, talking about serious prayer in Isaiah 58, 6, 
He says, this is the fast that I've chosen. And serious praying is fasting, right? When you fast, it's serious praying. He, he says that bonds of wickedness would be broken, heavy burdens undone, oppressed would go free to break every yoke. In 2 Corinthians 7, 14, he said, if my people, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's serious praying, right? It's not just pray, but it's seeking God. And turn from your wicked ways, or wicked ways aren't as wicked as the world, but they're still wicked before God. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal the land. So Paul says, I know serious praying is going on, so I know deliverance is on its way. How is it going to happen? Through the supply of the Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord, this great mountain will be removed. So the product of their praying is an outpouring of God's Spirit in Paul's situation. The word supply here literally means to lavish upon more than you need. That's what we see, don't we? The day of Pentecost, the Spirit's lavished upon them and it explodes with tongues of fire and speaking in tongues. And the epitomology of this word supply is interesting because it literally means voice upon voice. A choir. Literally, this is saying God's going to give you a choir and a choir director to have this chorus of the outpouring of God's Spirit. It's musical. Doesn't the Bible keep telling us that? When God's Spirit's pointing out, it's artistic, it's poetic, it's musical. Do you guys remember? We looked at Ephesians 5, and he says, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. What happens when we're filled with the Spirit? We speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing melody in your heart to the Lord. We're not singing to each other. We're speaking to each other. But the Spirit of God, as we're speaking these words, sound musical, sound poetic, liberating. It's not like some mathematician, blah, 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 you know. No, it's like music. God's Holy Spirit, I, I trust. I know you guys in Philippi are, I, I can sense that there's some serious praying going on. And because of that serious praying, ah, I'm at peace. I rejoice because I know God is going to do his ultimate perfect will. And then through his spirit, it's going to be a mighty, beautiful, historic, musical, beautiful thing that God's going to do. You know, guys, the Holy Spirit wants to help us through our difficult times. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is called, what? The comforter, the parakletos, the one who comes alongside. So you can get the t-shirt that says, my support, my comfort is not in the animal, it's in the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> My comfort animal is the Holy Spirit, I guess. That didn't sound right. But in 2 Corinthians 
1, 3 through 5, remember Paul, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consultation also abounds through us. And remember, Paul hit rock bottom in this chapter. He says, I was pushed above measure, beyond strength, despairing of life itself. And what did I learn? I learned there was a comfort of the Spirit nothing about. There's a work of God's Spirit I knew nothing absolutely about. And then he is the comforter. In John 14, he says, the, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, comforter, that he may abide with you forever. But you know him. He dwells with you and he will be in you. And it's that comforter that brings us peace. In John 14, 26, 27, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send to my name. He'll teach you all things, bring to remembrance the things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let your heart, uh, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So we just need to ask. And Luke, you know, he gives that wonderful thing. Uh, ask and keep on asking, seek, come on seeking, knock, keep on knocking. You, fathers being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. And then he ends this, unlike in Matthew, he says, he'll give good things to those who ask. In Luke, he says, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. In Romans 5, 3 through 5 there, it tells us that we glory in tribulations. Why? Because we know they're producing a perseverance and a character and a hope. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is given to us. So we need to understand that we are all going to be in tribulation. And what do we need? We need a supply of the Spirit. How am I going to get that supply of the Spirit? It's by prayer. Remember, they were in the upper room until the day of Pentecost, about 40 days. That's a long prayer meeting. And the Spirit poured out. That's the way the church began. How did the church begin? In a prayer meeting. How did the church spread? By the outpouring of God's Spirit. It's always that way. Paul is saying, just like the day of Pentecost is the way it's going to happen in my life, the way it's going to happen in your life. We need to come to serious prayer. We need to have a burden for one another. For us as a church, it's really our community, isn't it? When I went knocking on doors with uh, Matthias back in uh, December, man, there were so many people that were just, thank you. It's like, how can we pray for you? That's, we're knocking on the door. Let them know the Lord loves you. Merry Christmas. How can we pray for you? And there were some people going, thanks, but no thanks. But it was only a couple, honestly. Most everybody was joyfully receiving that. So we need to pray that the supply of God's spirit upon our fellowship as well. We're going to verse 20 here. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ may be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. This expectation of hope, it's, it's literally this exciting expectation. It's, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I can't wait to see what's next. 
I'm in prison. I'm in Rome. People are out there preaching, saying all kinds of horrible things about me. <laughs> I'm excited. What's God going to do next? It's amazing how faith can bring such joy and such a confidence. And this word hope is not like our English word hope. When you read the word hope in the New Testament, it's not the same word. Our word hope is like, might happen, might not happen. No, in the Bible, the word hope is it 100% is going to happen. We have the hope of the return of Christ. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. So I'm just waiting to see when it's going to happen. Of course, Paul would be in prison a lot longer than he thought, didn't he? And then he did get released. And he went out and preached for several months, but got rearrested and then beheaded later. So it was interesting. I, I often wonder if it was the prayer and the supplies of the Spirit that gave him that eight extra months to go preach. Because it was definitely the Lord's will for him to die as a martyr in Rome. But I wonder if it was the church praying that gave him that extra eight months to go out and and have a fun time. It says nowhere, in, in the very end of Acts, it says everywhere it went, no thing hindered. He just had a wonderful eight months where people were just receiving the Lord, receiving the Lord. Rome didn't mess with them. Evil men didn't mess with them. The Jews didn't mess with them. He just had a, you know, just it's sort of like the, the golfer, you know, he, he gets his best golf game ever and then kills over in the 18th hole right after the golf goes over. It's sort of like that. He had just the most wonderful time of ministry he ever had, went back to Rome, and then died as a martyr. And so he says, I have a great expectation. I know in nothing I shall be ashamed. The men preaching against Paul and his gospel, that was the point of it. They wanted him to feel ashamed for being arrested, feel ashamed for being in prison. We also know from Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that they were pointing out how many physical problems he had. And because of his sicknesses, he should be ashamed. Satan is a punk, isn't he? Satan is just a condemner. He wants us to be afraid and feel condemned and feel bad about things we have no control of. And Paul says, I know they want me to be afraid. I'm not going to be. I know they don't want me to have hope and joy, but I'm going to have. I'm going to keep my eyes steadfast on the Lord. David, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 25. This is a psalm I memorized as a young, in my young teenage years. But David cries out three times, let me not be ashamed. Oh my God, I trust in you. And Psalm 25, 2 and 3, let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Anybody who waits, that's the word to seeking God in prayer. And in Psalm 25, 20, keep my soul, deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. And then he says, with all boldness as always. So, you know, the point is, is that Paul gets put in prison. He would get the message, stop preaching so much. You're, you're, you know, you wouldn't stop preaching on the street, so we put you in prison, and, and that should stifle you a little. That was the idea, right? I mean, 99% of the time, that's what would happen. But then he realized, everybody around me needs Jesus. 
I don't have to go out to the highways and the byways. They're coming to me. When, when I've had people get so upset about all the immigrants, now they're coming across the border, millions of them. I'm like, you wouldn't be a missionary, so God's bringing them to you. So rejoice. Our citizenship's in heaven. That's who we're a number one citizen of. On earth, what do we do? We are to preach the gospel to all nations. Did you hear about that? 165 different nations. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Is there any that are missing? Please put on their hearts to immigrate here as well, illegally. Caesar Augustus. Guy was a horrible tyrant, but he got Jesus to Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary never would have went to Bethlehem unless there was an out-of-control dictator being unjust and harsh. So, guys, it, it, it's okay. Paul is saying with all boldness, I'll preach the gospel. I'm not going to be slacked off. Well, we'll put you in a deeper prison. Go for it. We're going to shackle you. So what? In my body, I want to magnify the Lord before I die. Wow. I, I can tell you right now, I, I think that's the number one thing on my list as well. I, I would really like to have a season where my flesh loses for a while. And that in my body, God's glorified it. And so Paul is saying, man, he, he tells us things I don't want to do, I do. Things I do want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, well, it's not me. It's my flesh. Oh, wretched flesh that I have. Who will save me from this wretched body of death? Now he is saying, in prison, my body is worse than it's ever been physically. And I don't think being in prison and handcuffed all day uh, to these Romans guards was probably very good for his health, right? But he is just saying, flesh, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Shut up. Lord, heal me. By the supply of your spirit, give my body strength. And what did Paul was able to do? He was able to write and write. And we have the New Testament because of this. Did Paul speak the gospel boldly? We have it in writing. Was Christ magnified in Paul's body? We have it in writing. Whether in life or death, I just want Christ to be magnified in this flesh. By faith, they were saved from the sword. By faith, they were killed with the sword. Who were these people that walked by faith? The world was never worthy of them yet they're going to be in heaven and not be glorified in their new body without all of us doing it at the same time. Well, the final verse here in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me give some other translations on this. The New Living Translation says, for to me, living is for Christ and dying is even better. <laughs> The International Child, Children's Bible. To me, the only important thing about living is Christ, and even death would be profit for me. Here's my favorite one, the Phillips translation. 
For living to me means simply Christ. And if I die, I should merely gain more of him. (laughs) I like that. I love that. Paul first says, for me. For me, I'm not putting it on you. But in my place as a pilgrim in Christ, for me, there's one thing. Boy, you can go through the Bible and, and listen, guys. When a person comes to one thing, they have real fruitfulness. David says, you know, only one thing I've desired of the Lord, and that I will seek after, just to behold his glory. One thing, the one thing I do. Paul says, there is no close second. Matter of fact, second is so far away, I'm not even going to mention it. Jesus said, we all need to have no close second. Remember when he told the multitude, you want to follow me? You got to hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your kids. You got to hate even your own self if you wish to follow me. That's called hyperbole in literature. It's like saying, hey, how many people are at the concert? A billion. There's not even a billion people in America. You're such a liar. I wasn't giving you an actual number. I was just giving you a sense of how extraordinary the crowd was. He is saying that you love God and the next thing in line is like a zillion, thousand, million, quadruple light years apart. That your love for Christ is so first, the second is so far away, you can't even see it. And this is what Paul is saying, I'm there. Maybe it took Paul to be stuck in prison. Maybe it took Paul to have all those physical problems. What's it going to take for you? What's it going to take for me? That for me to live one word, one thing, Christ. Paul in Acts 17 says, In him I live and move and have my being. And to die, it's gain. It's your graduation to glory. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. For me, it's gain if I die because I'll see the Lord face to face. In Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awaken in your likeness. To be in a holy body. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, beloved, I don't know what we're going to be like, but I know that we shall one day be exactly like him. Isn't that what Jesus said also in 2 Corinthians 5, 21? That he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of Christ just like him. It's going to be gain to die because we'll no longer have this fleshly body. The other side of the coin, we'll have a holy body, but we also will no longer have this fleshly body, this old wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of flesh. The another reason die is gain is to see my loved ones and to see all the heroes of the Bible My sister died just a couple of years ago. And before that, 
her husband died about a year before that. And before that, my son had died. And um, before my sister died, I, I, was, I had this clear dream. And it was one of those things that it's like you're there. And I'm walking up this hill, and it's sort of like in the desert. I love the desert, so even though it's not a bad thing. And it's hard, and you know, sand is kicking, and you're trying to get up this hill. And I'm right at the top, but there's no way I'm going to make it. It's too steep, and too, too, uh, the earth is too crumbly. And I reach my hand up, and it's grabbed, and it was my brother-in-law, Chip. And then my other hand, my son reaches down and says, man, what took you so long? And I'm like, well, how long have you been waiting? Oh, about five minutes. They had just gotten there. They were just on the trail just a few minutes before me. They had already gotten to the top. And I just remember sharing that with my sister and it was such a real moment. In Thessalonians, it says, we who are alive and the rapture of the church will be caught up. We're going to, next time I'm going to see my son, my sister, my brother-in-law. Oh, so many pastors that have talked and ministered in my life, Sunday school teachers as a kid. I'm not going to see them in heaven. I'm going to see them in the clouds as they're getting their brand new body and I'm getting my brand new body, then I'll see them. And then we'll all go to heaven to be with the Lord there. Because those who are dead in Christ will come with the Lord in the clouds. And we all get our bodies at the same moment in time. All those before the rapture who are righteous in spirit and they have some kind of temporary body, but not the body. That's graduation day. We all get our diploma, which is our new righteous body like Jesus' body, all at the same time. Isn't that awesome? And so there's going to be a shout. That's going to be me and you, right? <laughs> we thought it was Jesus. There's a shout. No, 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 no. It's all of us going, yay, finally, this body is gone. I got a new righteous body. I'm with the loved ones and all the heroes, oh, Abraham and David and Elijah. And, oh, I get to be with all my my buds that I've never seen, but I've always loved and admired. And then, of course, to die is to get a new heaven and a new earth, right? I'd like to finish the sermon here reading Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Why is that? I think I figured it out. I think clouds. I think we're going to surf in clouds. Well, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then, anybody want to say amen about the no more pain thing? 
<laughs> oh, man. No more pain. Thank you, Lord. Oh. Verse 5 now. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of a fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Lord, we ask today, God, this very thing, that your spirit would pour upon us, not like the sound of a machine gun, but like the sound of a harp, the sound of an orchestra, the mighty rushing wind is the sound of the choir singing and of the drums beating and of the musical instruments playing. Let that mighty rushing musical choir come upon us and fill us with your spirit. The abundant, overpowering supply of the spirit much more than we need. Pour out your spirit that we can come to that place that all things are cut away circumcise our heart if necessary again, O oh Lord. Get all the flesh life, all the earth life, all the love of the world, the love of the things of this world, the boastful pride of life of this world, the ease of this world, the money of this world, the, the pleasures of this world, that we would not love pleasure more than we love God, as you said the church in the last day would be, that they would have a form of godliness but they would love pleasure more than God. Let it not be of us, O oh God. Not let it be said of us. Let it be in us, God, by the power of your spirit for me to live as Christ, period. Nothing else needs to be said. Let us awaken morning by morning, Christ. Let us go to bed at night, Christ. Let us breathe in and breathe out, Christ, Christ, Christ is who I want to live for. In him, I want to live and move and have my being. All love, all power, all strength, all words, all thoughts, all deeds would be for the love of Christ. And as we love you and seek you first in your kingdom, we would also love our neighbor as ourselves. Let us love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then let us have that giant lake of love and let the damn doors open and that love pour upon our world around us, upon our enemies as well as our friends, upon those who love us and hug us and bless us as well as those who curse us. And Lord, we thank you that death does not fear us, that, that, that we have no fear in death but joy not that we want to die any sooner than you want us to die. We want to suffer as long as you have us to suffer. But Lord, in Jesus' name, that we thank you that to die is gain. In Jesus' precious name. If you're here today and you're hearing this message, you need Christ to be the Lord of your life. Just right now, believe upon him. He loves you. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Through the cross, you bore my sins and were punished in my place. You were buried and rose again the third day that I, you conquered death, you conquered sin. So the same with me.
By your resurrection, I conquer death. I conquer sin. I receive you. Let me follow you now with a single heart. Bless all those who have heard your word today in truth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.